everybody. So we are so excited today. The The year of 2018 films has come and gone. And now is our chance to give our awards for what we think are the best of 2018 in the world of cinema. And uh, I'm Rachel and I'm joined by my friend Conrado to talk about all of these great films. Hey, Rachel. I just want to take another look at you. That's what you give out these awards. That's right. <laughs> I wish I could sing like Lady Gaga. That's right. Whoa. <laughs> we will not sing. That would not please anyone listening to this. But I am very happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks so much. How how do you feel about the year in general? Do you think it was a pretty good year or were you are you feeling um, on it? How do you feel? Uh, I feel like every year is a good year if you know where to look. Um, yeah. If you look, you know, and especially this year, I tried to avoid movies that I thought I wasn't going to like. So uh -huh. I think for the most part, I every movie that I saw, there is something there that I was um, into or that I thought was valuable. So that was pretty pleasing. Um, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I feel really positive about the year. I mean, I love musicals or music-inspired movies, and mm -hmm. I thought this was a very strong year for that. And I also thought it was a surprisingly strong year for animation for me. Uh, there, there's there were a lot of little hidden hidden gems, and then also I actually liked almost every mainstream film i there there was very few that i just made me want to die and were just terrible <laughs> well, that's and, good. <laughs> yeah, um there there were a couple you know, duck duck goose for instance but for the most part i i, I enjoyed uh the animation films for the year so that made me happy of course and uh there was even um some rom-coms that i liked which that makes me very happy because uh, you don't get those that often mm -hmm. and uh, so yeah i feel i feel good about the year i do agree that i think that if if all you see is just the mainstream films then you're more likely to be kind of down on it uh any year but mm -hmm. if you if you dig a little deeper there's always lots of good stuff i think so yeah yeah so all right uh let's dive in so what we're doing here this is not our top like our top 10 list kind of a thing uh i if you, you want to find that out i actually did uh a almost best of the year list so my uh so the ones that didn't quite make my top list and then just this uh last week i did my best of list I have that out and you also have your best of list on your blog definitely yeah. yeah so i'll put a link down to that people can check it out and for sure so let's talk about blockbusters it was a pretty pretty good year i think for blockbusters and there weren't that many i really disliked the pacific rim uprising there were a couple that i just really disliked but what do you think is your favorite blockbuster of the year yeah, that sounds good. Let's focus on the positive. Yes. So my favorite blockbuster of the year is actually, I hate to begin with a cheat, but I really want to pair up these two movies because um, 
I often feel so on the outside when it comes to blockbusters. Uh-huh. You know, I dislike most Marvel movies and franchises, leaving me cold nowadays. Even Pixar doesn't do it for me quite these days. So the uh-huh. fact that I found two movies that I really, really enjoy, I thought was really something. And I also think there is a, there are things in common between the, these two movies. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it might not seem that way at first glance, I am talking, of course, about Paddington 2 and Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> and I put them yeah. together just like I did on my best of list because I see them as two new versions of basically slapstick comedy slash action. Mm-hmm. I feel like Paddington, Bear, and Tom Cruise are sort of the Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton over time. And they're just like getting in these, you know, adventures yeah. in which a lot of physical physicality and physical comedy comes into play. Yeah. And that's a really I don't know. interesting comparison because, uh, because Buster Keaton, he did all his own stunts mm-hmm. and put his life on the line, just like Tom Cruise. I never would have thought that comparison, but yeah, I, I, I get it. Yeah, And the thing about Tom Cruise is really he is commanding our attention because of all these stunts and because of the way he runs and how he sells this life or death situation to us, right? Right, yeah. And, and Paddington, too, is such a lovable character, obviously. But also, there's a lot of set pieces in which he gets into these like very comedic, sort of old-fashioned, almost silent movie type of scenarios that I thought were delightful. Yeah. So, yeah, those are like the two big studio commercial releases that I had a blast with. Yeah, this year. very good choices, very good movies, very uh, the epitome of a kind of if you want that kind of film, this is sure. it. You know, yeah. this is how it's done. So I agree with you. Uh, those are those are really strong. I I have paddington 2 in my top five of the year i had it at number four Great. i really love it i think it's just so huggable i just Delightful. it makes you feel good it's a very ultimate feel-good movie so good choice um so for my best blockbuster i have mary poppins returns it was my favorite movie of the year i just really responded to it i loved all of the songs i loved all the choreography i loved emily blunt as mary poppins i loved to me it had a really sweet message about uh you know your family getting family and friends getting you through tough times and supporting you i loved the moment when uh when michael realizes that uh, his wife is still kind of there in 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 his children and that, i thought that was a really lovely moment I really, I even like Colin Firth as, as sort of the villainous banker. I thought he was fun, having a good time with the role. I loved all of the, the songs, the choreography. Uh, I thought it was just sort of old-fashioned Walt Disney imagination kind of thing. I, it was the kind of movie that I felt like Walt would have loved in this movie. And um, a lot of times I don't get that from these live-action films from Disney. And... I, I just appreciated that they wrote new songs and that everybody was really trying to kind of make make a lovely little movie. <laughs> I just, I, it's, it, I've seen it three times and every time it just makes me really happy and I just really, really love it. And I know other people have issues with it, but not me. I really liked it. And uh, so I have it 
yeah, it's my favorite film of the year, and it was my favorite blockbuster. So great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, as you know, I'm not the biggest fan of this movie, but I will give the movie this. When I first heard about the idea of a Mary Poppins sequel, I almost threw up, and yeah. I thought there was no way this movie is going to be any good, and there's no way they can find someone to fill the shoes of Julie Andrews, and yet somehow the planets aligned and something happened and they were able to find Emily Blunt who is able to channel Julie Andrews but and not quite imitate her and yet yeah. seem like the original Mary Poppins and that performance I think is a minor miracle that it even exists yeah. and I thought it would be the hardest thing to accomplish and it's the best thing about the movie yeah. um yeah in my opinion, it's a little disappointing the movie around the performance, but I will totally agree that Emily Blunt is fantastic. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I, I she's amazing, and we'll talk about her again later on. But yeah, she's just the best. So, anyway, that was my favorite. Uh, but like I said, I also loved Paddington. Uh, too uh, was so great. I loved Spider Man in the Spider Verse. I love Crazy Rich Asians. So there, there were quite a few blockbusters that I enjoyed. So, all right, let's talk the other end of the spectrum. Let's talk indies. So we have uh, the best indie. And for me, my favorite was Leave No Trace. I saw it at Sundance last year. And then I saw it two other times and in the theater. And now I own it. Uh, and I just thought this movie was so moving. And uh, it's... You know, there's a lot of coming-of-age stories that uh, that are just sullen and miserable, and you know, that I don't relate to that kind of teenager at all. And mm. for for this this girl, she it, she comes to realize that she doesn't have to be like her dad. Like she can love him, and she can support him as a person, but she doesn't have to make the same choices that he makes. And I just thought it was so loving, and her sort of her decision by the end just made me want to cheer for her. And uh, I thought that for this kind of off the grid movie, most of the time I don't like, I'm not a fan, um, but they don't try to make him a hero at all. Uh, that, and I think that's what makes it work. And I, I just, I just love it. I think it is a beautiful movie and it's my favorite. Indie. Mm -hmm. I actually watched this just, um, a couple of days ago in preparation for this podcast because I had a feeling you were going to include it somewhere yeah. because you loved it so much and I hadn't seen it yet and I thought it was really good. Um, okay. It reminded me, you remember that movie that came out a couple of years ago with Viggo Mortensen, the... Um, Captain Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, so that was also about a dad raising his kids in the woods, but that was so phony and it didn't work for me at all. Whereas this movie felt so honest and like you yeah. say, like the emotions are so real. I really like the movie. Yay. I'm glad. Yeah. They don't try to make him the hero, which I felt like in Captain Fantastic, they were trying mm -hmm. to. And, and the worst one for me was the glass castle, which I absolutely hated. Oh, right. I and so for this to come along and finally, I guess, do the genre right, in my, <laughs> my opinion, was really lovely. And I hope that Deborah Granick doesn't take Eight, eight more years to make her next movie because she's amazing right. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh yeah so i'm glad you got to see it uh what was your favorite indie well my favorite movie of the year support the girls uh -huh. um 
which stars Regina Hall as the manager of a Hooters type restaurant called um, Double Whammies, and uh-huh. which the girls, you know, wear short shorts and they serve mostly male customers. It's kind of like a Hooters, like I said. Yeah. So the movie takes place over one very stressful day at this restaurant and then Regina Hall character, she's just trying to keep it together because she has to solve a thousand different problems. And the thing I love about the movie, first of all, it is hilarious. And second of all, it is very humane and complex, uh, especially in its view of these restaurant workers and the type of, you know, the type of worker that we don't see in the movies a lot. I think the movies to be very phony when it comes to professional success. They tend to suggest that characters either abandon their work and focus on their families or that Mm. characters just have to pull themselves by the bootstraps and follow the, you know, American dream and get whatever they wanted. When in reality, I feel like it's not so simple. And I think that's what I like about Support the Girls, that it's very honest about what it's like to work one of these jobs and how there's going to be laughter and friendship, but also there's going to be things that are going to keep you in that job and things that you're not going to like and that the world is messy and it's not, you know, it's complicated. And the fact that all of that works in a comedy is something that I absolutely love about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Regina Hall is very strong in it. And I, and I do think it, yeah, the supporting cast is really, really uh, good. And you definitely get a flavor of that slice of life kind of uh, feeling you know something like a Linklater kind of movie um, mm. which I yeah. definitely I did a, uh, it wasn't my favorite but I definitely appreciated uh, the performances for sure mm-hmm. yeah very good okay so best animation I have Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse we did a whole podcast on it uh, it really is a game changer I think it was so beautiful dazzling it was dazzling and uh, the but I think it had a huge heart and I think uh, very, very creative and just really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I have Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse as well. Yeah, yeah. like you say, we did a whole po- podcast about it. And so if you want to know more about how I feel about it, you can go and check that out. Um, right. Spoiler alert, I loved it. <laughs> um, yeah, it was I was actually really very happy when it won the Golden Globe this weekend for an animated film. Um, I really thought the fact that it is based on the comic books and, you know, the superhero thing was going to hurt it, but it seems like it's on its way to getting nominated and, you know, possibly winning the Oscar. And that would be great. Yeah. I I was afraid that sort of anti-Sony animation bias Mm -hmm. would come Mm -hmm. into play, Uh, but hopefully it won't for the Academy because it doesn't matter what other stuff the studio has done. It should just be judged on its own. Yeah, and it's the rare thing that happened at the Golden Gloves that was actually made me happy because some <laughs> of the choices were. Oh my God, Rachel! <laughs> I don't know how you're feeling about the fact that Bohemian Rhapsody will probably get a Best Picture nomination at the expense of Mary Poppins Returns. I don't think you want to talk about it right now. No, it makes me depressed inside because. Yeah. I didn't like Rhapsody at all. So, I mean, I guess Rami Malek was fine. But uh, but no, it, it's like giving a Oscar to a VH1 movie of the week, in my opinion. But, mm. oh, well, what are you going to do? Um, yeah. I know other people really <laughs> enjoyed it. Well, I still haven't seen it, but now that it's going to get nominated, I feel like I have to. I'm having a rough time. <laughs> yeah, well, I, it has some good things about it but you know the script was not my favorite but oh well um okay so next category we have indie animation and 
I had kind of three that I really liked. I mean, I had a lot that I really liked, but I loved uh, The Night is Short, Walk On Girl, which was mm. an anime uh, that is insane about this girl who goes on this bender, uh, this, <laughs> this drinking bender, which wouldn't normally be my thing, but it was so bright, so colorful, so creative really enjoyed it uh, it has a it's actually a musical which of course i'm going to be a big fan of uh, it was really good i really liked mirai uh by momora Hosada. i thought it was a beautiful movie about a little boy learning to accept his sister and he gets all this help from people in his like past and his family past and he gets help from people in the future and it's really cute uh i like that and then I really loved a little movie called Sergeant Stubby, an American hero by a new animation studio in the U.S., which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought they did such a good job balancing. Uh, they, first of all, they didn't have the dog talk. It wasn't anthropomorphic in any way, which I thought it was just a dog, which I thought was brilliant. Cool. And also, I, I thought that they did such a good job of balancing, like telling a true depiction of war that wouldn't like traumatize children they didn't gloss over it they definitely had it had you know kids would learn the stakes of war and it wasn't like an america rah 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 kind of piece really at all um but it wasn't like you know it's not going to send them into <laughs> therapy uh they, they did i thought they, that's tricky it was a very tricky balance and i thought they did a great job and i just warmed my heart and i really liked it so those are some of the indie animation that i liked this year did you have any that you got to see okay well actually no i was surprised but then i looked at what i've seen this year and i didn't see i don't think i saw anything unless you count something like isle of dogs and i don't think that really counts yeah so um so i really appreciate the recommendations because after you know looking through my list i was thinking oh my god gotta catch up with these movies <laughs> oh good yeah uh, another one that was really good is called Machio when the promised flower blooms uh, it was a very ambitious fantasy film uh by mariah okada and it's really cool to see in the world of anime the more female voices are getting to make films which makes me happy mm-hmm. um and it was very ambitious but it normally i don't like fantasy but i liked this uh because it's really about a woman becoming a girl becoming a mother and at its core so it has like a very intimate feel despite being a fantasy with dragons and battles and whatever so it was very ambitious and i enjoyed it uh so yeah there's actually been some really strong little ones i really i think you would particularly like mirai uh it it is also very intimate just about this little Mm -hmm. boy and has some magical realism to it it was really fun yeah that's the Um, one i've heard the most about yeah but anyway yeah it was it was some fun ones so uh all right so best director for me i you know i thought about this and i thought about uh fonza carone definitely would be in my short list mm-hmm. um but i actually decided uh to go with andrew hay for lean on pete i loved lean on pete i thought it was so moving and it was just a movie that just stuck with me for for days and days and days after i saw it i really think it's like a a true sort of portrait of america today and there were so many scenes that really stuck with me um that were devastating and i thought you know, obviously what happens to pete when 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 uh when the horse gets hit like that was devastating and i think 
Uh, I also thought the Dine and Dash scene was so like touching and uh, beautiful. And I thought, uh, you know, what the waitress decides to do. I really thought that scene was great. I loved the ending with when he finally reaches his aunt and she says it's okay and everything's going to be okay. I mean, that was devastating mm-hmm. and powerful. And I just thought it was just, I thought he did such a great job, especially because he's not even American, like showing the cinematography so beautiful and uh, just showing this whole story. I thought he did a great job. So that's, that's a really good point that, that he is, you know, a British filmmaker, but he, unlike some others, he really shows a very honest and very, it seems like he's very careful about showing reality of this country in a way that you know that feels honest and it doesn't feel like he's just i don't know it makes me think of something like three billboards which is so yeah like it's just trying to like you know agitate and and be edgy about the way it's showing that is a really good comparison that is brilliant yeah i i agree i i i think he's a brilliant director like every single one of his movies i've really liked that i've seen so Cool. That's why. What do you have at Best Director? So I have uh, Lucrecia Martel, who directed the movie Zama, which is, you oh. know, we talked about her um, when we did our 2008 episode, and I put her movie The Headless Woman on my list. Mm. So this is the first movie she's done since then, actually. So it's been almost 10 years. Wow. And it is the story of a Spanish functionary who's stationed in the middle of the jungle in South America, you know, back when South America was a Spanish colony. And he's basically waiting to get a notification from the king that he can move to a more desirable location than the middle of the jungle and get a better job, basically. Um, But of course, back in the day, these things take time and the bureaucracy and nobody really cares about this guy in the middle of the jungle. And so he just is waiting and waiting as he slowly goes crazy and crazier trying to, you know, wait for this uh, new position. And the great thing about the movie, in my opinion, is that Martel really puts us in the mind of this character, not only in the fact that he's going crazy, but also the fact that because he's of Spanish descent, but he's in South America, he's sort of alienated himself from the world around him. And so he doesn't see himself as either one or the other. And the movie really explores this weird thing about Latin America, which, you know, in which the upper class of people who basically are ruling the continent don't really see themselves as fully American. And so they're a little alienated from the rest of the world. And it's sort of a, sort of like a fissure in the middle of the continent, you know, having been born and growing up there, I really got to see that. And I think she really gets at it in a very interesting way through her filmmaker, filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so this threw, fell under my radar i didn't even hurt i didn't even know about it so this is good yeah 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 when i did my top 10 post actually um i put this uh in a tie with roma because i think there are two almost two sides of the same coin of two okay. movies who try to get a really like the essence of latin america but from two totally different points of view and perspectives right like you know mm-hmm. the the Alfonso Cuaron movie is very sentimental and it's about a woman in the lower class and it's like a, you know, a native Mexican. And whereas this movie from Lucrecia Martel is more cerebral and it's really, it's very funny, but it's very, you know, darkly funny about a privileged man, basically, who is trying to test the limits of his privilege and encounters that he might not have as much as he thought. 
Yeah. Very good. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely have to check it out. I, uh, yeah, I missed that one. I have to say it's um, a really strange movie. So be prepared because yeah. okay, some really interesting directing things like jumping through time and disorienting things because the guy is like losing his mind. So mm-hmm. she really puts you in that headspace. Cool. Good. All right. So we have best actress. And I went back and forth on this, but I finally, I just decided to give Emily Blunt the win for both of her movies. I think both A Quiet Place and Mary Poppins Returns, she talked about difference, but I thought she was just excellent in both. And uh, it was really drew you into the characters. And, uh, you know, that scene when she has to give birth in Quiet Place was, I thought, Mm -hmm. so well acted and uh, and there were also really sweet moments like when they're dancing, both listening to, I thought that uh, really worked. And, you know, I'm not like the biggest uh, like scary movie fan, but I thought that that movie really worked as far as just building up tension and making me feel like, but when I got out of it, I was, I had just an incredible like theater experience, I guess. I'm not saying it's the greatest movie in the world, but it really worked as far as a theater experience for me. And I, I got out and, I was like so tense that like <laughs> there was um, somebody drinking drinking from the water fountain and they kind of popped up in, in in a way and I was so tense that I was like ah! <laughs> they were like <laughs> the guys like what is wrong with you you know like but I was just so wound up and uh and it did a great job of that and I think a lot of that goes to her performance and you know just what's going to happen with this baby and uh, uh so mm-hmm. i i thought it did a really good job and i thought she did a good job in it so i had uh, that, that would be my choice yeah well like i said my favorite part of a mary Poppins returns was her and I, I do really think she did an amazing job so not yeah. a bad choice at all uh, so who do you pass i have not unlike you also a performance from my favorite movie of the year and that would be regina hall and support the girls yeah yeah. Um, I just identify with her character a lot. Um, she's just trying to get through this very difficult, very stressful day. And there is a moment when, actually, I apologize, Rachel, because I'm going to curse, but it's just because I'm going to quote the character. Okay. And it's that she says, um, she's having this very hard day and she's having a conversation with her husband. And she just says, you know, I can take fucking up all day long, but I cannot take not trying. And that really mm-hmm. stuck with me because that was the whole thing about the movie i think about this sort of potential for people to keep going and keep trying to find solutions even when the world around them is so difficult and so unjust and that resonated with me so much yeah i mean it's my movie of the year for a reason i love it and i love regina hall in it did you get to see her in um the hate you give as well not yet actually but i heard she was really good in that as well she's really good they did such a good job of really making it feel like these people were a family like it felt like they had history together felt like they knew each other they had such chemistry they did a really good job i think with that she's she's excellent in that as well so good choice um okay so best actor i already talked about how much i loved lean on pete for me I thought Charlie Plummer did an amazing job in that role. He get carry, carries the film. He's one of the, there's people who come in and out, in and out, but he is the, the majority of the movie. And I just thought he did a great job. And I think he's an incredible young talent. He was the best thing in, um, I mean, Christopher Plummer was, was good in that. Um, I can't think of the name, but that, uh, yeah, um, but he was all really, the money in the world. Yeah. He was really good, I think, as well, as far as his performance. 
I just think he's a very talented young man. So he did a great job. Right. Yeah, I've heard most people are really impressed by Charlie Plummer. And I think he's good, though. I have to say, the thing that keeps me from connecting with Lena and Pete, I think, is I find it a little kind of hard to get into the character's mind and understand some of his choices. So that's why I can't fully commit to this performance. But I get the feeling that maybe if I watch the movie again, it's going to become clear now that I know where it's going. Um, But the first time it seemed a little... um, it was a little hard for me, but I don't know. Every you know, like you, and I've heard other people like really impressed by him. So it makes me want to give it a second chance. Yeah, I was I I was blown away by his performance. I it totally was truth to me, but you know it's subjective. I yeah. uh, but um but yeah, I I think he's great, and I I do think uh, Lucas Hedges um is also an incredibly talented young actor. They're, they and he had a great year in a number of different films. So. So yeah, there you go. Oh, who who would you have as best actor? My best actor choice is um, Steven Yeun from the movie Burning. Yeah. So Steven Yeun has won some awards as best supporting actor, which I think is great. But I think this is a lead performance, um, so I've put him in the you know lead category. Even though it's kind of borderline, if you were a stickler about it, I guess you can say that the main character is a different character played by this guy uh, in you, I hope I'm pronouncing that mm-hmm. somewhat correctly. Um, he's also quite good in the movie and he plays this sort of writer who reconnects with a girl that he used to know when they were kids. And um, back then he like used to tease her a lot and she wasn't very pretty. So he made fun of her, but now she's had, you know, he's, she's had plastic surgery and now they reconnect and he thinks she's very attractive and wants to mm. pursue her romantically. and. So the thing that happens is the girl goes on a trip to Africa and when she comes back, she comes back with this new guy, basically, you know, her new boyfriend. And this is the character played by Steven Yeun. And this guy is very slick and very handsome. And so the main guy, um, this love triangle develops and the main character starts to suspect that this Steven Yeun character may not be who uh, who we think he is. And he might be a much more, you know, malevolent guy than we think um so the whole movie revolves about this question of what is actually going on with this character and the master stroke of Stephen Yeun's performance I think is that he plays with the audience and with the other characters so well at you know giving us a little bit of this and a little bit of that and making us doubt is this guy really bad or is he evil or is it just this, this protagonist is so jealous that he's projecting onto him like what is actually going on He's so charismatic. He commands the screen with such presence. And, you know, uh, he's a movie star, I think, after watching this movie. No doubt about it. Yeah, I really want to see that one. I haven't had the chance. I don't think it's come out here in Utah yet, as far as I know. I wouldn't be surprised because it's just rolling out now. It's trying to get a foreign film nomination. So it's Mm -hmm. a South Korean movie, by the way, if I haven't said that. Mm -hmm. Uh Yeah, Yeah, I I really really want to see it. Yeah, I thought he was great. Mm-hmm. cool uh so best ensemble film i really like shoplifters but i'm gonna give this one to crazy rich asians i just thought it was such a perfectly executed romantic comedy and you know i love romantic comedies and i think uh, it I, I thought all of the characters their motivations made sense uh, it was still very funny i thought the wedding was incredible uh i i really i just thought almost every joke landed i liked pretty much every character and 
I just really loved it. So I have it uh, as the best ensemble. So. Great ensemble. And I'm glad you also mentioned the shoplifters ensemble because that also yeah. was uh, yeah. almost my pick. But my pick ended up being, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but support the girls. Uh-huh. <laughs> I really wanted to showcase the supporting cast in this movie because I think the way the performers play of each other is, is so essential to the movie's success. Um, mm-hmm. I especially want to showcase um, Haley Lou Richardson, who she plays Maisty, the only girl who actually loves to work at Double Whammies, and she's so peppy and she's such a sweet girl, um, which I think it's sometimes it's really hard to do without making the characters seem dumb. And I think she really is good at that. And yeah. there's also Shayna McHale, who she's also hilarious and she plays like Virginia Hall's basically her right hand girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think partially why I picked it for ensemble is because I couldn't pick between the two of them for Best Supporting Actors, but also because there's also a lot of other great performances. James LaGrosse and Dylan Jalula, Brooklyn Decker are all really funny. I, I, I feel like every character, I sort of had a little bit of something that I remember. Very cool. Good. Yeah. They all did a good job with uh, with that. Uh, AJ Michalka, she, I thought, did a very good job. And she is on the Goldbergs. And I really think she's great on that show as well. And so that was kind of fun to see her, see her in a feature film. That was fun for me. Cool. So anyway. Okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, supporting actress, I have Thomasin McKenzie from Leave No Trace. It's one of those, eh. But uh, it's, I think it, you could make an argument <laughs> based on, I mean, it, it, the supporting actress is very, very murky, uh, uh, the supporting, what counts as supporting, but I thought that uh, she was amazing in the role, and I just really felt emotionally tied to her character, and when she makes the decision at the end, I was literally just like cheering, I was like, yes! I was so brave uh, to make that decision, and uh, so anyway, I thought she did an incredible job, and uh, so I have right. I will agree with you. It's a really good performance, but I don't think it's a supporting performance <laughs> at all. Fair enough. Yeah. If if we're going true supporting, one I really loved that no one will talk about because it was uh, right straight to Netflix was uh, I really loved Penelope Wilton in the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. Oh yes, I thought the that she was. was. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that she was lovely, and she in that role, uh, she uh, she's very skeptical of Lily James's character. Um, because she's been through so much and uh, she's, you know, she's a great actress, Wilson. So uh, that was probably be my pick for true supporting Earl. <laughs> great. Yeah. What about you? Well, you know, so here I go um, trashing your pick because it's not supporting. And now okay. I have this performance that I think is kind of elite. I feel like this performance is actually bordering the line. So you will tell me if you agree okay. or not. <laughs> Um, my pick is um, Sakura Ando from the movie Shoplifters. She uh-huh. plays basically the mom figure in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. Uh, yeah, she's great. I don't know. I feel it's, like she's... It's an ensemble film. So I, I think yeah. you can make the argument that for either case. All right. So, so. I'm just going to run with it because <laughs> I think she's absolutely amazing. There is the sequence. You, I think you know what I'm talking about. Near the end of the movie when she's being interviewed or 
actually yeah. kind of interrogated by a government official on why she did the things that she did. And the camera just stays on her and she delivers these monologues with such passion and such emotion. You can really see what this woman is going through it, and that it's this very, very hard moment in her life. And I was just, I was floored by that scene. I think she's absolutely great. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great scene. And I mean, it's, it's, it's just such an interesting movie because it's all about how they've sort of created their own law and Mm -hmm. it's like, right. And we all know it's right, but it's not right. If that makes sense. Like they're, you know, they're, they're breaking up this family and yet we know that that's the best place for all the characters. That's when they're, they're going to be loved the most. And, but our law says that they have to be broken up. And I, I think that it's, there's such humanity in that performance mm-hmm. and uh, such a flawed character, but with the best of intentions and um, yeah, really good. Very good one. Yeah. And I'm sensing a theme of sort of like families yeah. against the law and the government being broken up, you know, leave no yeah, trace and then shoplift us both of our picks. So yeah. I mean, lean on P has that yeah, a little bit yeah, too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Good, good, good point. Okay. Uh, so supporting actor, I have Hugh Grant in Paddington too. He was willing to make fun of himself. He was a good sport. He was hilarious. Uh, and, uh, I, I just love, I love the movie and I love him and he's so fun. Great choice. Great choice. I think he's really funny. Um, my only caveat with this choice is that some people when praising Hugh Grant, have dissed Nicole Kidman, who plays the oh, villain right. in the first movie. And I think that's unfair. I think they're equally delightful performances. And I'm totally down with singing the praises for Hugh Grant. But let's not sleep on Nicole Kidman because she also <laughs> did a great job. Yeah, she did. She did. A, she did a great job. I mean, I probably, if I did, I would probably pick Hugh Grant over because it had that extra meta level to it. Uh, but um, but they both did great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's that, that there's that singing moment at the end that I think yeah, yeah. really really puts a button on Hugh Grant's performance. Well, I mean, that is so delightful. Playing a foppish actor is just hilarious. Like, yeah. Yeah, when he does the commercial in the dark costume. Yeah, no, it's really great performance. <laughs> what did you have? Um, I have Brian Tyree Henry from the movie If Beale Street Could Talk. Uh-huh. Um, I want to preface this by saying that one of my big frustrations this year is actually that I couldn't fully connect with If Beale Street Could Talk, which I was really looking forward to the movie. Uh and then I didn't quite get into it that being said there are many things about the movie that I really love and one of them is um, Brian Terry Henry's performance he's not in much of the movie only a couple scenes but which which uh, one does he play he plays the friend of the main character who has just been released from jail and he has this one monologue which I think it's amazing in which he talks about being in there and what a horrible experience it was and how it really changed the way he looks at his life and I don't know you can sense all these emotions in the way he delivers the monologue you can feel that he's so scared to go back there and he's also angry that he's not able to make sure that he doesn't go back I don't know it was one of the most emotionally and visceral scenes I saw this year and and definitely one of my favorite scenes in the movie so I really Mm -hmm. dipped my head to him yeah I he's a good performance I did not like that movie really at all but 
it has some good things about it, I guess. Uh, but um, I also want to throw out um, Raphael Casal for blind spotting. I thought that his performance was like made me so anxious the whole time. I was like, this guy is he gonna like is he gonna like kill people? Like he was so erratic and so crazy. But like I thought it really worked i liked that movie cool. i've heard great things i haven't seen it yet oh you haven't seen it no. yeah i thought it i didn't like sorry to bother you i thought this was a much better with some of the same themes much better movie in my opinion but i i really like Lance. but yeah his friend plays his best friend mm-hmm. uh that's a very like toxic person <laughs> but yeah. i don't know it was a good it was a good performance so that's one i check out all right, so best score. I really struggled with this because there were a bunch of scores that I actually really liked this year, but I went with the more obscure one just for fun. I went with the night is short, walk on girl. I already mentioned it. Oh. Um, this is uh, such a fun, bubbly score. It does have, it does. Uh, evolve into actual musical numbers uh this director masaki yuasa i guess if i'm saying it wrong um it's this movie's not gonna be for everybody it's very very surreal very abstract it's very weird um but i just thought it was joyful and i really enjoyed it and i thought this score was really fun very bubbly and i liked it so that's what i picked Mm um my pick for score is um if Beale Street could talk by Nicholas Bertel. Yeah, that was a good score. I love the movie, but this is one of the things I loved about it was the score. I think it's so beautiful and really captures that sweeping romantic feeling that the movie's trying to go for. I've been listening to it ever since it became available to stream a lot. Uh-huh. I think yeah. it's beautiful. I really hope it gets some Oscar attention because it would yeah. be really deserved. It was really good. That score was great. I also love Alexander Desplat's score for Isle of Dogs. Sure. Uh, I thought it was really good. And since we're shouting people out, I also really like, which I think it's a score that you don't like, if I remember correctly, but Terrence Blanchard scored for Black Klansman, which I think it's so unusual for that uh-huh. sort of movie. Yeah. Um, I really appreciated that. And I, I also really like the Black Panther score. I think it's really cool. Oh, yeah. How it weaves in the African themes and stuff. It yeah, yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. Great so, a bunch of good stuff. All right. Best song. This was, I really kind of have a three-way tie. I know it's so unfair. I could not decide. But I love Shallows from Stars Born. Absolutely love that song. It was so good. I love Triple Little Light Fantastic from Mary Poppins Returns. I thought that was just the wrong song to like for Mary Poppins, but whatever. The wrong song? I think the best song of Mary Poppins Returns is by far the last one. Um, Nowhere to go but up. Yeah, that's very delightful as well. Um, And then I also love, there's this little... the little movie that I loved called Anna and the Apocalypse. Uh, mm-hmm. It was our zombie uh, Christmas themed musical, which I thought was brilliant and I really liked it. And there's a great song called Hollywood Ending in there okay. uh, that, uh, that I thought was great. So those are my three-way tie. Wow, great. Um, <laughs> okay. Since you cheated with a tie, I'm going to also do a bit of a cheat. It's not a but I'm going to pick a song that is not technically an original song, but that underscores one of my 
uh, at least one of the most effective scenes that I saw this year. And that would be the sort of retooling and translation of the song Yellow by Coldplay in Crazy uh-huh. Rich Asians. Oh, um, yeah. There's a scene That's in a the plane, point. you know. I should have seen it coming, but they really got me with that ring. And the fact that they chose that specific song by a band that is largely, I don't know, at least by me, considered to be very uncool and made me appreciate the song all over again and in this like swelling context and translating mm-hmm. into Chinese. I don't know. It really worked for me. And I've been listening to this song that I hadn't listened to in years and that I thought it wasn't a very good song. But now I have this, you know, I will forever like connect the song to this moment that was so cathartic, I thought. It was yeah. such a romantic comedy moment and it worked so well for me. Yeah. Very good. Uh, yeah, that's, I wouldn't have thought of that, but that's a good pick. Um, okay, so the visual effects, I there were a lot of pretty good visual effects this year. Um, I, I, was, I was almost put Paddington too because it was so good. Uh, but I'm going to go with Bumblebee. I really thought this movie was charming. I thought that it had such heart. I thought that it was so impressive what Travis Knight did to revive this or really make the first good one. Because <laughs> I've always thought there was such potential in the Transformers movies. And here, this was just a sweet, lovely little movie and i it wouldn't have been as effective if bumblebee hadn't been so such a greatly rendered character and i thought they did a really excellent job and uh and even when there's some like fight sequence and other stuff they it just looked really good and if i was going to have a best soundtrack uh then bumblebee would probably be my pick as far as picking different songs uh existing songs not not original i think it has a really amazing soundtrack but um i know i just really enjoyed it and i thought it did a great job cool i i haven't seen it yet but i want to catch up with it because i've heard really good things about it unexpectedly yeah. right yep yeah it was a really great surprise and i think uh, i think that it's a really lovely family film this was the year for like kids and their either dogs or <laughs> Or horses yeah <laughs> and uh this was just a very very nostalgic very sweet movie in my opinion so. cool cool um Here's my pick uh, for visual effects is mission impossible fallout yeah because there's no visual effect like a practical effect and there's no practical effect like Tom Cruise, because he will just do anything and everything for the sake of his movie and for the sake of cinema. So let's appreciate the fact that the best visual effect of the year is a person and his name is Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good one. Yeah, very. I mean, he's he's great in that movie. Um, I just feel like we can do everything with computers, but no computer can do what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Okay, so best screenplay. I have one we haven't talked about yet. I have Juliet Naked as my favorite screenplay, no question. Um, you know, Nick Hornby is such a brilliant writer, and his novel was so great, and they did such a great job of bringing it into a, f- a film. I think it it's uh, it's such an interesting movie about obsession and uh, the creative process. And out of you, have you heard of it? Julie? I have heard of it. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it though. Yeah. So it's all about this woman played by Rose Byrne who has 
this sort of crisis she's been living she's had this live-in boyfriend whatever for 13 years uh and they had kind of made the decision they weren't going to have children early on in their relationship and now she's sort of doubting that choice that she made and kind of regretting it and uh he's her boyfriend is played by chris O'Dowd, and he is obsessed with this singer uh who only did two albums and one of them called juliet naked so the name sounds more makes the movie sound more scandalous than it is it's really not at all and uh and he he's uh, this like podcaster and they like him and his friends like talk obsessively about the, you know each song and they analyze it and they dissect it and what do you think he's trying to say with this lyric and whatever <laughs> and so she ends up one day on the forums actually just saying how she doesn't like this particular album or song or whatever and he the actual singer ends up responding to her played by Ethan Hawke and they start to, to have this sort of uh, conversation and he's ended up having like five children with all these different women and he's trying his best to be a good dad uh, despite his choices but it's just this interesting contrast between the woman who decided not to have children regrets it and this man who has more children than he knows what to do with you know so it's, hmm. it's interesting and they it, it and i i think they do the thing that makes the screenplay so brilliant is that this chris o'dowd character could easily be a caricature especially because he makes some really not nice choices and it would be so the fact that at the end of the movie he has a moment where he kind of sticks up for all of us obsessive crazed people and uh, and and i think the fact that the movie earns that moment uh shows what a good script it is because like i said he makes some not so nice choices and and yet you still buy him in this emotional moment and uh, I, I I loved it. I thought it was it was funny. It was sweet. It was romantic, uh, but not really a romantic comedy actually. Um, and it was thoughtful and great. Very well acted by all the three leads. I just thought it was great. So that's my favorite screenplay. Of Interesting. The year. And you have read the book that it's based on. Yeah. And I mean, he's just the. I love Nick Hornby, but he always he tends to always write about um, obsession of some kind, modern obsession. Well. You know, fever pitch whether it's you know mm-hmm. uh, that was soccer or kind of in a way too uh, i i just he's a great writer so cool um so i've also picked interestingly a screenplay uh based on a material that i have also read and that would be the movie burning which is based on a short story by haruki murakami uh-huh. and um, so I've explained the plot basically when I was yeah. talking about Steven Yeun, but um, this is directed and written by Lee Chang Dong, who we talked about when we did our 2007 podcast. Um, he did the movie Secret Sunshine. I don't know if I remember. Oh, yeah, you remember yeah, yeah. It was on my list. So this is an adaptation of Furikami, and uh, the short story that it's based on is really short, but the movie is almost three hours long. And so what he does is he takes the basic premise of the of the short story, but he brings us this new element that I talked about, which is a sort of like jealousy and rage of the male character. And, and he makes it much more of a love triangle. And he, the main, the protagonist who is the narrator of the short story is much more passive in that one. And he's only a friend to the girl, but in this one, he's more, you know, wants to pursue her romantically. So that raises the stakes and, and it really turns 
a story that is very haunting in its own way, but it's more of like a ghost story into a story that is more of like a thriller and like what's going on, you know? Huh. And yeah. I think it works really great. I was very impressed by that adaptation because it, you know, uh, it keeps the essence of the story, but it turns it into its own thing. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I I need to see that for sure. All right. So the best duo I have actually to my surprise i have ralph and vanellope from ralph breaks the internet i thought that uh what they did in this movie was so interesting because you have uh these these characters that are friends uh and uh the by the end they have to learn to kind of accept the fact that they see the world differently and yet they can still love each other and i think that that's the hardest thing in life <laughs> is to accept people for who they are and still love them and, and maybe even love them because of those differences and the unique way that they look at the world. And I actually thought that the messaging was fairly nuanced and I, I thought their relationship really grew in a more interesting way than in the original, in my opinion. And I, I just really thought they were great. So I liked it. Cool. Um, you know, I was really underwhelmed by the movie when I saw it, but um, I will agree with you. Something that I didn't give the movie enough credit when I first saw it is that they really go to an honest place with this Ralph and Vanellope mm-hmm. relationship and the idea that you can be selfish and very codependent of your friends and, yeah. and you know, fail to see when something is good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was really, in retrospect, I think that's a very interesting thing to put in a children's movie. Yeah. Yeah. And that you love somebody and, and yet you might, you might kind of have to, sounds cheesy, but like let them go and, uh, and, and go on their adventure and try something new and you can support mm-hmm. them. I think it was really cute, really cool. And um, yeah. so, yeah. Anyway, uh, what did you have as your favorite duo? So my favorite duo is um, from Creed 2, which mm. I think got some kind of disappointing reviews, but I really enjoyed it. And Me too. one of the things that I enjoyed the most was the relationship between Adonis Creed, played by Michael B. Jordan, and Bianca, played by Tessa Thompson. Yeah. I think I was surprised to find after watching this movie that I'm really rooting for this couple and that I really like these two fictional characters together. And I was so happy to see them in in a marriage that is uh tender and you know there's this old old-fashioned melodramatic romance element to it and that they're really trying to make it work and it, you know there's communication and love and i don't know i'm just rooting for the two and obviously mm-hmm. they're two of the most attractive people in the world so of course i'm gonna be mesmerized by the romance but i, I was really into it yeah yeah that was actually gonna be one of mine uh the underrated because even though it's technically certified fresh mm-hmm. i don't know i just feel like it it wasn't given the. i thought it was great i mean yeah. i was literally rooting for both sides i thought the i thought the drag the dragos was done very well mm-hmm. and i thought that he was done i would have been fine with either of them winning uh and that's hard to do i think in a boxing movie yeah i liked it a lot and i think a lot of movie uh, i think a lot of people sort of gave the movie a pass because it's pretty good but did wear a little i don't know weren't impressed by it but i think there's a lot of stuff going on there that i really like i agree uh yeah it didn't have like the fancy camera work but i don't really like that's 
that's secondary to me uh as far as i mean i i like the first one better but uh but yeah i I thought yeah i agree yeah very good pick okay so my best kiss i give to the guernsey literary potato peel pie society Ah. at the end of have you seen it no the potato movie yeah the potato movie at the end i loved the book and i loved the movie at the end of the movie spoiler alert uh they have uh, a scene where they're both they both meet on the boat uh she's going to find him he's going to find her and they meet midway which was very romantic and uh they're uh, they're surrounded by people and i love scenes in rom- romantic movies where they're surrounded by people and yet it's only them you know like they have that moment of connection that's very romantic and uh she proposes to him and uh mm. and, and then they have this great kiss and uh it was it's really good i loved it cool yep i haven't seen it although i've been curious about the potato movie uh, <laughs> i think it's one of those things about when it's on netflix and you just like keep pushing it off thinking you'll get to it so it's really sweet little movie uh i, I think so cool um so my pick for best kiss um this was a hard one for me, actually, this category. And I'm not fully satisfied with my choice because I feel like there might be something out there that I'm forgetting, but I'm going to go with it. And I'm going to say my pick is the opening shot of Widows in which we see Viola Davis mm. and Liam Neeson just going ahead and having a big, wet, sloppy kiss. <laughs> yeah. You know, with no other reason, because I think it's a very bold way to start a movie. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, that was that was definitely it is an unusual yeah. kiss, right? Yeah. It's not yeah, the sort true. of kiss you usually get in a movie. It's true. Uh, another one that I thought was very well done is um the the uh Ferris will scene in Love Simon, the ending. I thought that was very, very yeah. good. So um okay. Biggest laughs. I have two picks. Okay. The first one, I have Game Night, which I, I thought, oh, he'll probably maybe talk about that. I don't know. It was so funny. I, especially if you have a family that's into games, which my family is. So I really thought it was funny. And also, I think it showed so well that sort of desperation when you're in your 30s of trying to socialize, but it's like kind of awkward and it's hard. And <laughs> I, I thought it really captured that really well. Um, also, there's this little indie film uh, made out of, it's the Turkish film that I saw at Sundance called mm. Butterflies which I thought was, it's a dark comedy. It's also, it's very sweet and touching, but there's this running gag. And I guess this maybe would be a little bit of a spoiler, but uh, there's this gag where the chickens in the town eat gunpowder and they just (laughs) randomly explode. And like, so let's just be going through the movie and all of a sudden, boom, (laughs) chicken everywhere. And I know, like, I'm sure that's not what would actually happen if chicken eat, chickens eat, eat right. butter, but it was, to me, for whatever reason, every time it happened, <laughs> I just died laughing. I thought it that was so really funny. funny. And there were yeah. other funny stuff about it, um, but I really enjoyed Butterflies. It was really good. That sounds really funny. Yeah. Okay. Gotta catch up with that one. Uh, biggest laughs. My pick is uh, the movie Blockers. Oh, okay. Um, but more specifically than the movie Blockers, I wanted to highlight what I think is one of the funniest performances of the year. And this is given by a woman named Geraldine Viswanathan, I think is how you pronounce her last mm-hmm. name. 
And she plays one of the teenage girls who is trying to lose her virginity on prom night. And she is so funny. She deserves to be a breakout performance, I think, just like, you know, Melissa McCarthy in Bridesmaids or Tiffany Haddish in Girls Trip because mm-hmm. uh, she's great. And I think the fact that she's a teenager and, you know, blockers didn't do quite as well as those other movies is going to prevent her from becoming a superstar right away but i think she deserves it and i just want to highlight her because if you're a casting director and you want someone funny in your movie get this girl geraldine is and she's so funny very good cool i haven't seen that one but uh also i i believe it or not i thought teen titans go to the movies was hilarious i died there's this whole section particularly where they go back in time and fix the origin stories of all the superheroes and it was very funny i i i had no expectations going into it and i was just laughing and laughing and laughing so anyway um okay so most rewatchable i have uh paddington 2 i think i could i don't know i can't imagine ever getting tired of paddington 2 and i also loved and i I think i'll watch every christmas from now on i'll watch anna and the apocalypse because it was just joyful and effervescent and everything that you could want as far as just creativity and i just loved it i thought it was great it's definitely gonna be a new um christmas movie for me cool i really wanted to see that one but it's great by because it was in and out of theaters here in new york um but the Paddington 2, I think, is a great choice. I will definitely rewatch that. And my personal pick is, you know, again, broken record, but Support the Girls is the movie I've seen the most times this year, mm-hmm. and I will watch it um, many times more during my lifetime. So yeah. got to go with that. Very good. Uh, all right, Tearjerker. So the, the, I think the biggest tearjerker, I would say, is probably Roma. I think when mm. she loses, when she has the baby, that scene was just, devastating i was bawling uh and it there were a lot of really devastating moments in the movie another one that's not really a tearjerker but that i cried the most in the theater uh is it was actually instant family that movie just emotionally was really worked for me and uh i i thought that it was very very well done and very surprising um and i was by the end i was there's this the the end you you see all of the people that were involved in the movie with their adopted kids and (laughs) it was definitely the credits that's made me cry the most (laughs) i just thought it was so sweet and i really enjoyed it uh so those are probably my two biggest the ones that made me cry the most cool um the movie that made me cry the most and this is no contest i was tearing up beginning to end is the movie Minding the Gap, mm, which is yeah, a documentary a yeah. um, about these kids uh, growing up somewhere in Illinois who are these skaters and they have this history of mm. basically of abuse in their families, right? Mm. And mm. I just think just seeing these very real people being very real and having, I don't know, just when the guy, I forget his name, but when the guy gets promoted at the restaurant, oh yeah Uh, here yeah so he gets this promotion and it's just such a small thing but for that guy it's such a big deal and i was just like tearing Mm -hmm. up so much just so happy for him that he got that um this movie makes you really connect to these people and really see you know the people that are out there and what is going on with them this whole 
feel like this it's a microcosm for this whole generation of people who are going through similar things it's really good i i think the moment when the director bing lee when he confronts his mom about why she allowed these people that movie that moment is devastating and you know she she's just like it's also quite loving even though it's it's yes tough. It, it, that's the thing yeah it's a great movie i saw it at sundance and i was blown mm-hmm. away and he mm-hmm. was there and just i just can't believe some of the footage that he got and that he was able to <laughs> yeah. i mean and uh, you just don't see that many movies about how domestic violence affects young boys and this this was a very beautiful interesting depiction of yeah and it's just so human right like in every moment you see the human connection in a way that i don't know if you could ever in a fictional film i think the fact that all these are real people really gets under your skin and makes it work yeah very good i loved it uh i'm glad you got a chance to see it uh okay uh date movie i have the incredibles 2 oh okay it's about family and i think uh, what they have to, uh, and it's also really entertaining. I think it would be a good one for a date because it's got like action and that you know the guys might like a little bit more, and it's sort of funny, and okay. yet it it also has real heart and is, uh, you know, is about a like I said about a family, and you get like Violet and her romantic things, and I don't know. I just think it'd be a good one. And then I actually also have Instant Family. I think if if a guy was dating didn't feel anything for that movie that i'd be like mm, i don't know <laughs> i don't know if we're we're a match because... that was good <laughs> anyway so i think i'm going to continue sort of this tradition i've started of talking of the worst possible date movies that you can have <laughs> for this and i'm gonna go with first reforms which is about a man who is having a crisis of faith because he realizes that the world is going to end because of global warming and maybe we should all despair and stop believing in any kind of salvation because we're all doomed. So, you know, first date movie. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I also th- actually do think the night is short walk on girl would be a great movie because I think if, if somebody loved that movie, then I'd be like, we probably are a match. Because mm. It's a weird movie and I like it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, but anyway um so okay so best action sequence i really i can't think of anything that was more awesome i had my issues with infinity war but i thought when thor comes down with that hammer uh in, in wakanda that i love thor i'm a huge chris hemsworth fan and i thought that that as far as the sequence was really great and All right. fun, so um cool i was thinking of I mean, Mission Impossible Fallout is full of great action sequences, but I think if I have to single out one specific one, it has to be Incredibles 2, the scene with the elastic bike and the train, the runaway train. Incredible. Brad Bird is a master of action sequences as far as I'm concerned, and that was that was so good. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right, so best musical moment. I have to pick, uh, I really liked a place called Slaughter Race, and that was a huge surprise. Yes. I wasn't expecting to all of a sudden get a Alan Macon song in there. Mm-hmm. Was, that was really fun. Yeah. Um, but then also, I in Anna and the Apocalypse, there is a 
scene there's a song called turning my life around where she's walking to school and the zombie apocalypse is happening all around her but she's like doesn't even realize it because she's singing the song and she's thinking <laughs> about her life and she's just caught up in her own world and it's just so so well done and so funny and charming and it's a great song so this is probably the second best song in the whole movie so cool yeah those are the two uh my musical sequence doesn't actually come from a musical film uh-huh. but it is another scene that really moved me um in the movie black clansman which is full of very emotional scenes but mostly yeah. about rage and you know indignant thing or injustice and this is a scene that comes early in the movie in which the characters are at this party and they just start dancing to this music i think the name of the song is too late to turn back now and it's the main guy and the girl that he's been you know having a connection with oh yeah i forgot about that yeah yeah and this is a scene that you know when i watched it in the theater it made me tear up a little bit because it was just so beautiful seeing these people dancing especially and having so much fun and and being beautiful in a movie that is all about uh, you know injustice and how these people are in danger but to see you know um, them celebrating was really moving to me and that sequence has stuck with me very good uh all right so best animal performance i have to say i when i was thinking about this care this this category i couldn't really think of one that had like a real I hardly can think of one that had like a real animal. Like a lot of it was CG. I mean, there's Lean on Pete, I guess, uh, but uh, it was real horse. But I don't know. As far as the the one that I actually uh, could think of that was uh, that really worked for me and was a huge surprise this year is the movie Alpha. Uh, and I know okay. that some of it is the CG wolf in there, but there's some real real dogs. Um, but uh, I thought this movie was very well done and very moving and the cinematography is gorgeous and very great before lead performance from uh cody smith myth mcphee um he was great in it and it was kind of like a ya version of the revenant but with like a nice person (laughs) to follow (laughs) Um, that you were rooting for actually um and i don't know i i thought it was just i was shocked at how much i liked it and I thought the bond between the wolf and the boy was really great and uh, very well done. And uh, you felt for both of them. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was actually a really pretty good movie, I think. Cool. Um, I actually proposed this category for animal performance because I thought this was a really good year for animals in film. Mm-hmm. So I want, you know, you can shout out Horatio, the fastest duck in England from The Favourite. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, yeah, There's yeah. a very funny thing with the Rabbit. duck. And then there's Olivia the dog, who was in Widows and Game Night. She's the same dog. Oh, is that really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but the one that I want to highlight is a animal performer that is that he or she absolutely steals the show. In just one scene in the movie zama which i talked about and this is a very specific scene in which the main character is basically pleading to the governor to find a way to get his to out of the jungle into a different post and all of a sudden this llama comes into the frame and starts snooping around and like (laughs) smelling his head and his face and it's so funny and so unexpected that llama 
is one of the best performances of the year. It's an absolute highlight. I love, I love that scene. Very good. Well, and you also had some cute dog scenes in animated films with Sergeant Stubby. You had Isle of Dogs, which some of those dog scenes were so cute. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then also there is a very unusual dog scene. I don't want to give it away since you haven't seen it in Mirai that okay. is really charming. So that's really funny and works. So cool. yeah, good ones. Yeah. I was first, I was like, I don't know about this category, but mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, okay. Uh, so we're almost done. So the best young performer, I have to go. I mean, I already talked about Charlie Plummer, who's amazing. I talked about Thomas and McKenzie, who was amazing. Um, and Cody Smith McPhee was great. Uh, so those are some, but I actually go with very young, not even teenage young, little children. I thought the two little kids in Shoplifters were amazing. Mm-hmm. I shot Chateau and Yuri. I don't know the actors' names. They were so cute. I just wanted to uh, adopt them. They were the most adorable I've ever seen. Yeah, the great choice. The kids are so adorable and so good in the movie. Everyone in the movie is so great. So good. Yeah. Um, my young performer, I'm going to go with Helena Howard, who is the lead actress in a movie called Madeline's Madeline, which is oh, a really yeah. strange little movie about this girl who has um, some sort of mental issues. And she is uh, working on this theater project with this fancy director and she gets really um, into it. And then a lot of things start coming out and bubbling from her. And I think she gives that really, really intense, really great performance. I can't wait to see what else she does because she's so good. And I would recommend the movie. It, uh, it was very small and independent movie didn't get a lot of, uh, you know, attention when it came out, but I think it's totally worth seeing, especially if you're into like weird indie movies, um, Helena Howard. Cool. Yeah, I, I've been meaning that has actually been on my list, but I haven't, ha- wasn't able to see that. But um, but that sounds good. Uh, all right, last category we have most underrated, and there were a lot of movies that I felt like got. There were a lot of movies that were just barely certified fresh or just kind of lukewarm reception that I thought deserved better. But the only one that was, I thought, pretty well eviscerated by critics that I actually really enjoyed uh, is I Feel Pretty. Uh, <laughs> that oh, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. I think people took it way too seriously. I think people were overthinking it, to be honest. To me, it felt like a old Penny Marshall movie, uh, you know, our <laughs> rest in peace. Um, that you know where there's a little bit of magical realism and what I liked is that I liked the fact that she actually didn't become thin or pretty like she is pretty but you know what I mean uh, she actually didn't change her body it was just her the way that she saw herself change and so mm. when she looked in the mirror it, she saw somebody different but she didn't actually change which I liked so it's really just about how her gaining confidence and what a difference that makes and and her uh feeling pretty and that makes her make have a whole new confidence and whole new belief in herself and she definitely like it's not perfect movie um she definitely maybe get becomes a little bit too too unlikable at a certain point and not all the jokes work but overall i thought that it had a really nice heart to it 
and was had very good intentions and I don't know. I, did, I just liked it. I liked her little group of friends. I thought they were funny. I, uh, I liked her boyfriend. I thought he was really charming and cute. And I don't know. I just liked it. I was shocked that people were so like, not just that they didn't like it because people, but like, I felt like people were like offended by it. And I was like, oh, it was an offensive movie. And I don't know. I didn't see it that way. I thought that it was at worst harmless. And okay. uh, so that's just my opinion. Sure. Um, I haven't seen that one, um, maybe because it was so underrated. Yeah. Anyway, my yeah. underrated <laughs> pick, um, uh, a movie that I think got a mixed response. I don't know actually if it's fresh or not on Rotten Tomatoes. I forgot to look at it, but I think a movie that deserves to be talked about more than it was, <clears throat> excuse me, and that is the movie Tully, uh, starring Charlize Theron and directed by Jason Reitman. Yeah. And which I think the movie has a very, very bold twist near the end. And I think it doesn't, the twist maybe doesn't work the way it should be. I agree with you that it's not the best twist, but I think there's so much more in the movie that comes before the twist. I think the, the vision of motherhood as this like very messy, very tiring thing and Charlie Stern gives such an honest performance I feel about this, this mother who is like just so tired because she doesn't have the time to take care of all these kids yeah. and she doesn't also have the money to like do all these other things that her fancier brother and his wife can afford so yeah. I think it was a very honest movie in that sense and very interesting as sort of story that I don't think I've seen a lot of in movies and I wish uh, people had uh given it more attention taking that into account the things that were so unusual about it yeah it did have those really good highs uh that part of it that made me frustrated because i'm just like it was so close to being brilliant and then oh but uh but uh but yeah it definitely is very very honest like you probably show it to teenagers and they'll never want to have a kid have a child (laughs) that's where i'm at after watching that movie honestly and i'm not even a woman so Um, another one that I actually thought was kind of underrated is the movie The Commuter. I thought it was a really tight, entertaining little thriller. Like, it might be partly because I haven't seen that many of these Liam Neeson action movies. and Maybe people that have seen tons of them, this is like, oh, very rote. But since I haven't, I thought he was good. I thought the action was good. I thought it built tension well. I liked Vera Farmiga in it, Patrick Wilson, Sam Neill. I, it has a good cast. Elizabeth McGovern has yeah. a really good cast. And I thought, it, I thought it was pretty well shot and pretty well done. And I liked it. So Cool. Yeah. That looked really fun. I, I really wanted to see it, but didn't get around to it yeah uh so there you go that is our thoughts about this year i we think we covered a lot of movies and i think i got a a a lot of variety so uh this was really fun i really enjoyed it and uh yeah hopefully uh people will let us know in the comment section or on twitter let us know what you would pick i'll put a i'll put all the superlatives in the description section and so let us know what you would pick for the different topics and if you want to do even your own video where you give your picks that would be really fun and we would totally you know pass that on on uh, social media and all that fun stuff and so yeah let us know what you think and uh so how can people find you online so you can find me 
on Twitter at Coco Hits New York, or you can go to my blog, which is cocohitsny.wordpress.com. Great. I'll have that in the description section. And uh, yeah, you can follow me at Rachel's Reviews on iTunes and on YouTube. And you can put your ratings and reviews on iTunes. Really appreciate it. And you can now find me on Rotten Tomatoes, which is insane. And I'll have my link for my profile there in the description section. And uh, so check that out. And uh, yeah, a lot of fun stuff. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) thanks so much for doing this. Uh, I really appreciate it. And we'll be back together to talk about the Oscars. So yay. (laughs) Everyone's having Bohemian Rhapsody fever. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, So, all right. We'll talk again soon and that'll be great. Okay, Bye. See you